0: Uh, With all the formers in there, you probably thought I'd be a walker, maybe a cane. Uh, So thanks, Brennan, for making me sound much older than I actually am. Um, But when I was in college, which was a long time ago, because I am actually rather old, so thanks, Brennan, uh, for part of my uh, college experience, I decided to do an internship. And so for this internship, I was going to go to a church in the great state of Michigan. and, And as part of the internship, they place you with a host family. And so I've never met these people, but I show up in the state of Michigan with nearly everything I own in my car. And I show up at this random family's doorstep and I just ring the doorbell, right? And it's this vulnerable moment where you don't know if they're gonna be super weird and socially awkward, or if it's gonna be a great summer, but whoever's on the other side of this door is about to have a large influence in your life, right? So you ring the doorbell and this family answers and they're just super kind, right? And right away, I can tell I hit the jackpot for host families. So they welcome me in and they're like, hey, why don't you bring your stuff in? We'll show you to your room. And so they take me upstairs and they show me into this beautiful room. The guy was a bank president, so they were like pretty loaded, right? Beautiful house, beautiful room. And I was like, man, this is like larger than the house. I grew up in just my room, right? And so they show me to my room and I'm getting my stuff settled. And there's this large window at the edge of the room. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna open the window and let the sun in. And I go over to this window and I pull on the little cord to raise the blinds. And I don't know what happened, but I snapped the blinds in half and they fall out of the window. And I'm like, oh, Like, this isn't how I wanted to start the moment. So now I go have this awkward conversation with this family that I don't know that I've never met. And I just say, hey, I don't know what happened, but I yanked the blinds out of your window. They're in two pieces. I'm really sorry. They were super gracious, super kind about it. But it kind of got things off on a weird start, right? They're like, who's this kind of socially awkward kid that ripped our blinds out of the window? So now fast forward two weeks, and they're a big sports family, so they're away at a baseball tournament And I'm in the house by myself and they have one of those Holiday Inn Express waffle makers. You know what I'm talking about? Where you turned over and it beeps. So I'm cranking out waffles like it's my job, right? It's like a Belgian waffle buffet in the kitchen. I've got the place to myself. They had a big screen TV before those were a thing. Now everybody's got them. But back then big screen TV was a big deal. So I'm eating waffles, enjoying this big screen TV, this beautiful house all to myself. And as I'm eating waffles, I notice this sound what is that and and I kind of follow it and I set my waffle down and follow this sound and I realize it's running water so I go upstairs and I follow the sound of running water to the toilet that's connected to my room and I lift off the tank and in the back of a toilet there's like this ball that floats in the water when it comes up it shuts off the water and so it doesn't overflow that got stuck so I think well I'll just tap it you know Unlodge it and it'll shut off. So I tap this little floaty ball thing in the back of the toilet and I snap it off in my hands. And I'm like, Aaron, this is strike two. If this happens again, they're gonna like throw me out of their house. And I have this moment where prematurely I just panic, right? I think about how awkward it is to explain to them that I broke their toilet, I've already broken their blinds. and I, So I have this like little anxiety moment and I do what I think any rational person would do. I'm gonna take a nap. So I literally, I walk into my room, still holding this piece of plumbing. I don't know what to do with it. So I set it on the nightstand and I lay down in the bed and I'm getting ready to take a nap. And I go, wait a second, Aaron, you are a junior in college. You were educated. You can fix this. We can make this right. And so I I go downstairs and I drive to the hardware store and I find the part that I need and I go back to their house and I go upstairs to the room and I start uh, unscrewing this part of the plumbing and I lift out, it's called the water control valve. I lift it out of the toilet. Here's the problem. I didn't drain the tank. There's no toilet water running all over this bathroom floor, right? And now I'm really panicking, so I grab their like beautiful, expensive towels and I'm wiping up toilet water, right? And I, I was wearing just a plain white T-shirt that's now soaking wet and awkwardly see-through, right? And I'm cleaning up this toilet water. I finally get the new part in to the toilet and it sort of worked. I have a bucket of toilet water, I have a piece of their plumbing and I'm soaking wet. I'm like, all right, Aaron, we still got this. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go downstairs. I'm gonna go out the garage door. We're gonna dump the water. We're gonna throw away the plumbing. We're good, they're not gonna know, right? This is my plan. So I go downstairs, I open the garage door. I take three steps. I'm in the middle of the garage. I, I'm, I'm not even making this up. The garage door. And I, I don't know what to do. I literally, I'm like, where can I hide, right? So picture, picture this. They're pulling into their garage, the door goes up. Here's their intern in a see-through white t-shirt, holding a bucket of toilet water and a piece of their plumbing. (laughs) I I have no idea what's going through their mind, right? I have no idea what they're thinking at this point. They're looking at me, I'm looking at them. I just awkwardly smile. (laughs) The, The host dad drives in, he rolls down the window, he goes, did you decide to do some plumbing when we were gone at our own house? And so I had to explain to him the whole situation. And again, they were super kind, super gracious. They didn't make it any more awkward than I had already made it. But, but here's the thing. What I want you to notice is there were two extremes of my response. On the one hand, when I decided to take a nap, it was this moment where I go, it's too broken, it's too awkward. I just want to shut down. I just want to avoid this whole thing. And I just went really into passive mode. Right? After a while I thought, you know what? No, 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 I can fix this. And so I went from being passive to going in my own capacity, in my own knowledge, I can fix it. Now, the problem was I'd never done plumbing. I'd never done a home repair project, had no idea what I was doing. So my capacity, super limited, right? And I ended up making it much, much worse. Now, here's the spiritual parallel that I wanna draw. We live in a world that is sinful and broken. And because of that, you and I have experienced places of brokenness, places of woundedness. We've experienced places where sin has kept us in bondage in our own lives. And what we do is we tend to go to one of two extremes. We tend to, in some instances, go, my life is too broken. I don't think I can fix this. And for some of us, we're just spiritually kind of passive, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to find a way out of this addiction that I'm in. I don't know how to find a way out of this uh, just mentally unwell place that I'm in. I don't know what to do. And so some of us, we just go passive. Others of us, we go, you know what? I think I can fix this. And we try to do life in our own strength, in our own capacity, going, it's up to me. And, and this is kind of the American way, right? We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we make a way for ourselves, And so for some of us, it's our whole plan is to go to college, get a good job and we are going to fix our lives. We are going to make it better. And the problem is we start down that course of action and we pretty quickly realize I don't have the capacity to fix what's broken in me. Here's the big idea that I wanna draw us into tonight. God wants to redeem us and transform us so that we can have a redemptive presence in the world. Right in those places where we feel broken, right in those places where we feel wounded and insecure, and those places where we feel trapped and in bondage, God wants to redeem us, to free us from those things, to transform us, to make us new from the inside out so that we can have a redemptive presence in the world. I love how the Apostle Paul says this in his letter to the church at Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And there Paul says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, what I love about this is that this says that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. There are good works that God has gone before you to prepare you for, and he's guiding you towards. Now, the thing is, we're God's handiwork. Think about that, by the way. You are God's handiwork. You are God's, another, another translation uses this phrase, you are God's masterpiece. God has formed you, God has shaped you, God has created you uniquely. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Some of us, even as I say that, you're saying, okay, that might be true, but what about this trauma that I've experienced? What about this woundedness? What about this brokenness? God might've created me as his handiwork, but I've experienced things that have broken me. I'm not the same person. I don't know how to step into these good things that God has called me to do. But Paul says we're God's handiwork, you're his masterpiece created in Christ, right? We do good things and we have a purpose, not in our own strength, but it's in and through Christ and the redemptive and transformative work that he wants to do in us. And it's the power of Jesus at work in us that transforms us to be a people who step into the plan and the purpose that God has for us. Now, to wrap language around this idea, At Grace Point, we use this phrase. We call it our mission statement. It's to encounter grace, grow in grace, and become grace givers. And when we talk about encountering grace, growing grace, and becoming grace givers, we're talking about nothing less than the power of the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection to transform us and to set us free. And that's what I want to draw us into tonight, is to the beauty of what it is that Jesus wants to do in us and through us. So as we flesh this out a little bit, I want to start in Luke chapter four. Now in Luke chapter four, there's this moment where Jesus is going to read from the scriptures in the synagogue. Now the synagogue in in the early uh, uh, first century Israel was, was basically like the local church for the Jewish community. On the Sabbath day, they would gather in the synagogue and one person would be chosen as a reader and they would be handed a scroll of the old Testament and would read from it. On this particular Sabbath day, Jesus is worshiping in the the synagogue as was his custom. And he reads this very specific passage, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He, Jesus, went up to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he wrote up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he goes to Isaiah 61 and he, he does so with a purpose. And and we know that as Jesus reads this, that the audience that he's reading to, they're struck by the way he reads it. Because after he gets done and sits down, did you notice that it says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on it. After Jesus reads the scroll, they're watching him. And and even as he sits down, they're, they're, they're glued to him because Jesus read this passage with authority and he read it with conviction. And then he says these words, he says, today in your hearing, this word is fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is saying this prophecy from Isaiah, he says, this is what I've come to do. And Jesus gives us no less than his own mission statement. So I want to go back to Isaiah 61 and I want to walk us through what Jesus claims as his own mission statement in the world. Isaiah 61, 1 to six. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations and in their riches, you will boast. Let me draw your attention to verse one. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because it has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That first verse encapsulates what we mean by this phrase encounter grace. When we talk about encountering grace, we're talking about no less than encountering the real living resurrected Jesus who is present and moving and working and desires to do a work in us. And I love the hope of what Jesus says here. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to number one, proclaim good news to the poor. That word good news is literally the gospel. It literally means the proclamation of the reality that Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, right? Scripture is clear that the wages of sin is death, right? What we rightly deserve is separation from God. And yet Jesus dies on the cross, paying that penalty for us. And he proclaims this good news that our debt has been paid. And the good news that we can be reconciled back to the father, that you and I can have relationship with the God of all creation, right? And, and I find this amazing that the God of all the universe, the God who spoke everything into being, he sees you and he knows you and he desires to be in relationship with you. And God wants so badly to be in relationship with you that when we sinned and rebelled against him, he sent his own son to pay the penalty for us. That's beautiful. And so Jesus says, he sent me to proclaim the good news to the poor and he sent me to bind up the broken hearted. And I love the reality that the good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus offers us forgiveness and freedom from sin on a spiritual level, but those places in us that are wounded and broken, Jesus begins to tend to those places of woundedness in our life. So let me ask you this question Where do you feel wounded and broken and insecure? right? Those aren't things that we like to think about too much, right? These are the things that we kind of try to push off to the fringes of things. We don't want to think about our brokenness. We don't want to think about places where we've experienced hurt and trauma and difficult things. And yet Jesus says the good news of the gospel is he comes to bind up, to bring healing to those places of brokenness. And so maybe as I, as I ask that question, you're thinking about the family that you grew up in and you're thinking about the, the, the mom or dad that was emotionally abusive. And you're going, I have this wound in my life because I did not have the relationship with my mom or dad like I wanted. And there's this place of brokenness that you carry in you. And Jesus says, I wanna bind that up. I wanna bring healing to that. Maybe you just got out of a really difficult relationship. And there were things that were done and things that were said in the relationship that were wounding and created brokenness in you. And maybe when it ended, maybe it went just really bad. And you're going, I have this place of woundedness. I have this place, I might even call it grief because of what happened and how that relationship ended. And I just feel broken. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that place of brokenness, Jesus sees it and he desires to bring healing to it. Maybe you graduated last year, a couple years ago, and you've stepped into the workplace and you're you're trying to find your place, but maybe you've got the imposter syndrome, right? You know what imposter syndrome is? It's it's where you step into an environment and you're supposed to be an adult and you're supposed to have been to college and you're educated and you know how to do this. And yet you feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. And and when are they gonna find out that, that I have a lot of questions and I don't feel competent and I don't feel capable. And so you have just this insecurity that just holds you in bondage. And Jesus says that place of brokenness, I wanna bring healing to it. And when we talk about encountering the grace of Jesus Christ, it's not only the good news of freedom from sin, it's the good news of those places of brokenness, Jesus is moving us to healing and to wholeness. And so when we talk about surrendering our lives to Jesus, we also mean surrendering those places of woundedness and brokenness up to his healing. So Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the broken heart. And he says, to proclaim freedom for the captives. And, and I love this reality that Jesus says to those people who are struggling with places where we're in bondage, where we are held captive, he goes, I come to bring freedom. And, and so maybe for some of us, maybe you find yourself in bondage to things like lust and porn, right? And you go, this is something I don't want in my life. And yet I find this compulsion. I just keep going back to this thing that I don't want. And I wanna be free from it. And Jesus goes, that thing that you cannot free yourself from, I can bring freedom for you in my grace. Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's not that. Maybe you find yourself locked in this disposition of comparison. You're always comparing yourself to other people. Maybe you're a student athlete. And so you're looking at other people on your team going, man, I wish I had their talent. I wish I had their opportunities at the high school they went to, at the program that they had. I would be so much better. Maybe you're always looking and going, "They're more attractive than I am They're They're more built than I, am. you're always comparing and you're going, I don't want this. Why am I locked in this place of constant comparison? And I find myself in bondage to it. And Jesus says that place where you are in captivity, I wanna bring freedom from. The gospels tell us that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so when we talk about an encounter with Jesus Christ, it's forgiveness of sin. It's binding up our brokenness. It's bringing freedom in the places where we're in bondage. And Jesus says this, and he says, release from darkness for the prisoners. Now Luke translated it this way, recovery of sight for the blind. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that when you surrender your life to Jesus, he opens our eyes to the reality that for so many of us, we are spiritually blind. I think so much of our American culture functions on this reality that says, pay no attention to your spiritual life. We we live in a culture, this is what matters, right? Go to school, get a good education, get a good job, make all the money that you can, be as successful as you possibly can, because that's where meaning and purpose and significance is found. And we live in a culture that says, spirituality, Jesus, the gospel, you don't need any of that. Just be really self-sufficient. Just, just make as much money as you can. And what you'll find out is as you pursue that headlong, making all the money that you can, getting the best job that you can, pouring yourself into that, you'll find that without Jesus Christ, it's really, really, really empty. And I think one of the greatest spiritual places of brokenness in our culture is that we're just spiritually blind. And Jesus, when he proclaims this message, he says, I've come to bring forgiveness and healing and freedom. And I've come to open your eyes so that you can see the beauty of what spiritual life with Jesus looks like. And so when we talk about this encounter grace, it's this reality that a relationship with Jesus Christ brings salvation. It is the freedom from sin. It is binding up our places of brokenness. But here's the beautiful thing, right? It doesn't stop with this encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. There's this growth process. Once you know Jesus, we begin this process of growing and maturing spiritually in him. And what you find is that once you know Jesus, he begins to transform us and change us. And when we look at Isaiah 61, we see this powerful story and witness of the transformative power of Jesus Christ. Look at verse three. As we talk about this, growing in grace process he says to provide for those who grieve in zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the lord for the display of his splendor now notice the transformation that happens here it begins by saying he'll bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes right do, do you notice the, the, the stark contrast here When scripture talks about ashes in this sense, this is a symbol of mourning. If you were in a place of grief, the common practice was to to wear sackcloth, like a potato sack, super itchy, super uncomfortable, and you would literally cover yourself in ashes as a symbol of your mourning, as a symbol of your grief. And what the prophet Isaiah says here is in those places where you were grieving, you'll instead have a crown of beauty. And the crown was a symbol of victory. The crown was a symbol of belonging. The crown was a symbol of joy. And so what this scripture is saying is in the place where you were in grief and in mourning, Jesus will transform that to a place of joy and celebration and belonging. It says, he will give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. In that place where you had grief, in that place where you don't think joy is possible, Jesus can redeem that and you can walk in joy in that place. He says this, you'll be given a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I find that language so powerful. Think about despair. Despair is a, a loss of hope. Despair says, I don't see good things happening in my future. Despair says, there is no way forward. There is no way out of this. Despair is a place of giving up hope. And yet this scripture says that you will be given a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In other words, when you encounter Jesus and when you experience the transformative, the life-changing work that Jesus does in you, in that place where you were in despair, that will be a place where God amazes you with his provision and protection, a place where God gives us hope to the extent that you will be praising God right in the very place in your life where you were once living in despair. I think that's beautiful. And I want you to think about your own life and your own story. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in a place where you're going, I feel that despair. And my hope is that if you take nothing else away from tonight, it's that you would know that to encounter the grace of Jesus Christ and to grow in that, to experience the transformation he brings means that right in that place that you were in despair, Jesus can bring hope, that he can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Now, let me, can I flush this out for us? Let me, uh, Nate, if you'll switch to my screen. Let me, let me talk about what this journey looks like. So this line is a kind of a visual way to represent our spiritual journey. To the left of this line, right, this, this right here is life before we know Jesus. And we, we could attach labels to this if it's helpful. At the far left of this, we might say that someone is uh, an agnostic Maybe there's someone who's searching. So at the far end here, we might say this is an atheist, maybe an agnostic, maybe someone who's a doubter, seeker, searching. But this represents someone who's, you're on your spiritual journey. Now, when we talk about encountering the grace of Jesus Christ, what we mean is there's there's a catalytic moment right? There's this moment where the Holy Spirit interrupts your life. Maybe it's someone who gave you the invite card from Oasis last year, right? And you came to one of the Catalyst weekends and maybe you just came for the free meal, right? You just didn't want to pay for food. So they're like, I'll go to this Oasis thing. And you came and maybe the Holy Spirit of God met you there and changed your life. There was this moment where you encountered the grace of God, right? This begins your spiritual journey in anew. And what happens is there's this moment as you grow in this process that you go, you know what? I trust Jesus. I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Now there's this grow in grace moment, right? This is what we mean by growing in grace. You know, Jesus, but you're growing in maturity. And, and I like to define Christian maturity like this. It means my life looks like Jesus. Or in other words, we could call it Christ-like. So when you have this encounter with Jesus and you yield and surrender your life to him, when we talk about faith in Christ, it's not only do that I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I say, Jesus, it's no longer about my plan or purpose for my life. I'm surrendering my plan or purpose to you. And then what happens, right, is there's this growth process where you begin to grow towards maturity, to grow towards Christ likeness. Now, here's the thing, the, the journey doesn't end here. This, this process of growing in grace is, is ongoing and it will be until we are in heaven someday. But what I want us to recognize is it's not just encountering grace and growing in grace, but we're called to be grace givers. And what happens is that we're called to go back over here and we are called to minister to people who are far from Jesus. We are sent back into a broken world. And here's the thing, when we have experienced the transformative and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, when our lives are changed and transformed, that is not only for us, the word of Jesus is now go back and tell other people who are living in bondage and brokenness and sin that I offer them freedom. So let me flesh out what this looks like in this Isaiah 61 passage, verse four. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations and in their riches, you will boast. Now notice verse four. He says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Now the they there is the people who previously We're in mourning and grief and despair. And what's happened, right, is as their life is transformed by the grace and the power of God, those same people who were in a place of despair, the same people who were in a place of grief and bondage and captivity, those same people who felt like there was no hope in his life, they said, uh, the word says, they will rebuild the places that have been devastated and ruined. Here's what I think is so amazing. That you and I have opportunities to go back into broken places and to bear witness to the transformative power of Jesus Christ. That when we talk about being grace givers, right? It means that our life becomes a conduit. It becomes a pipeline. It becomes a means of God's grace right into the midst of broken places. So maybe you grew up in a difficult family and you're going, pastor, you have no idea. You don't know my family. They're broken and it's not good but Jesus has changed your life in a radical way. And now maybe he's calling you to go back to the family that you came from and to bear witness to the transformative power of Jesus Christ and to have a spiritual influence there to be someone who gives grace to your family and who becomes a pipeline and a means of God's transformative power in the life of your family. Or or, or maybe it's your residence hall, right? The place where you live and dwell for so many hours of your week, God has changed and transformed your life. And now you sense this nudge of the Holy Spirit to go back into this place that often feels very broken and to have a spiritual influence in that place. Or or maybe you're in in the job world and you're in, in your first career job and you sense the Holy Spirit of God saying, you can have influence here in this broken place. You can bear witness to the transformative power of Jesus Christ and bring life change to people in this place. And I love how it says in verse six, and you will be called priests of the Lord and you will be named ministers of our God. Now, he's not talking to the professional priests here. He's talking to the normal everyday Israelite person. And and he doesn't mean when he says, you're gonna be priests and ministers, he doesn't mean that you're all gonna work in the church. What the prophet is saying here is that when your life is transformed and you go back into broken places, you play the role of a priest. Now, what's the role of a priest? The priest stands as this middle person who represents the people to God and God to the people. And what that means is the people who are often lost and maybe they're not even asking spiritual questions, the priest will pray to God on behalf of that community. Lord, would you give them your grace? Lord, would you open their eyes? Lord, would you begin to free them from bondage? The priest is praying prayers for that community that they don't know to pray for themselves right? And so when when the prophet Isaiah talks about, you will pray a a priestly role, it means you can represent the presence of God right in the midst of broken places. And so maybe in your family, in your workplace, in your residence hall, you begin to pray over that place and to pray prayers for that community of people that they would never think to pray for themselves. And so you start seeing those moments differently. And so when you go home for Thanksgiving, you're praying, Lord open the door for spiritual conversations. And you do that with fear and trembling going, I, I don't know if I'm ready, but God, I pray that you would use me to open these doors of conversation. Or maybe in your workplace, you're going, Lord, help me to be someone who in the way that I interact with my coworkers demonstrates the life change and transformation, demonstrates what you have done in my life. Because I think the beautiful reality is that God uses ordinary everyday people like you and I to bring life change and transformation as we live out the truth of what Jesus has done in us. And God begins to work through us in huge ways in those places. Now, we talk about this whole thing and this can feel like a, like a, yeah, let's go change the world kind of speech, right? And and I think sometimes pastors, we're good at doing this. We're like, yeah, we we can go change the world. And and, and we hear this whole thing and it's like great, you know, like up moment. And then we walk out and we go, I don't know what to do. Right, do you ever feel that tension? Like, how how do I make this practical? What does it look like? So I, I wanna give us three just real practical things for what this might look like to be grace givers to be people who have encountered the grace of Jesus Christ. We've grown in that grace and been transformed. And now you sense God is calling you to be a grace giver. I wanna give us three simple things. And it's this, it's a person, it's a place, and it's a prayer. And the person is this, I wanna ask this question, who is close to you and far from God? What I mean by that is who are you in relationship with that doesn't know God? They know you, they don't know God. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's a coworker and you sense that God has laid them on your heart. Pastor Brennan from time to time has used this language of the one, right? Who's the one that God has laid on your heart to begin to have intentional spiritual conversations with that you've been praying for? And, And so much of, when we talk about changing the world, so much of it comes down to who are the people that God has placed right in front of you? Right? Don't worry about large scale change. Don't worry about leading a movement. Worry about being spiritually intentional with the one person that God has put right in your path. I think it's also a place. Where do you have influence? Now, I know for so many of us, we're going, well, I don't really have influence, right? Maybe you just graduated, you're in your first career job and you're like, I am not the manager. I am low man on the totem pole. I don't have influence. Or maybe you're a student and you're going, I just live in the residence hall. I'm not a CA, I don't have influence. Listen, anywhere you have relational connection with people, you have influence. And I think we just begin to see things differently as you have influence, right? It's the sphere of influence you already have. You start to be spiritually intentional to pray for people. You start to look for opportunities to have spiritually intentional conversations. And now I know this, this other thing too, right? We feel like, well, to talk about Jesus feels weird or awkward or uncomfortable. But think about it this way. When you look at the hope that Jesus brings, when you look at the transformative work that he's done in your life, why would we not wanna tell someone else about that? So what's the sphere of influence that God has already placed you in? Here's the last one, it's prayer. And I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He was a pastor and missionary. He said, prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. And so many times we look at something like this and we go, well, all I can do is, is just pray or I, can, I only know how to pray. It's never only or just. Prayer is one of the most significant things we can do. So if you do nothing else, when we talk about being a grace giver, I want you to do this one simple thing. Pray for this fear of influence you already have. Begin praying for your family, begin praying for your roommates, begin praying for your coworkers in whatever sphere of influence. And right now, as I'm saying that, God is laying something, a person, a place on your heart. Just begin praying for them. Because I know what will happen as you start to pray for them, God will form his heart in you and you will find yourself being passionate that people who are far from Jesus would come to know him because that's the heart of God. And as we move towards Christ likeness, we become passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. And Jesus is really passionate about people knowing him, about having their brokenness made whole, about being set free from bondage. He is really passionate about seeing people saved and set free from sin.